That's the most important part is the intro music. <laughs> That's what took the longest to plan. It's good. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this next installment of the Florida Housing Hour. Today, I'm joined by my longtime friend and realtor partner, Jonathan Rivera. Welcome, Jonathan. Thanks for coming in. Oh, thanks for having me, Glad Josh. you're here. We're going to jump into this and start talking about all kinds of stuff. So I'm going to just jump in with questions and go ahead and get started. You okay with that? Excellent. Awesome. Do it. So let me ask you this important question. Who are you and what do you do? So as you said, my name is Jonathan Rivera. I am a realtor, uh, broker, associate, co-broker here at Sanchez and, Sanchez and Company in Tampa, Florida. So I've been in the real estate, on the real real estate side going on eight years now. Um, before that, I spent 16 years on the mortgage side of the business and lending. Started with uh, household HSBC for, set for a total of 11 years, two stints. We can get, go into that later. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so went to Illinois for a couple of years, um, worked at a small bank up there, um, doing a lot of back-end default, a lot of stuff that we similar to what we did back at HSBC when I was there, and then um, moved back here, got back to HSBC, as I mentioned earlier, the second stint, and learned a lot, quite a bit while I was there, worked at Goldman Sachs for a couple of years. Um, it's been a, a whirlwind of a, of a career on the mortgage side of the business. Those are some heavy-hitting names there. HSBC, yeah. Goldman Sachs. It was, uh, it was by, I fell into a lot of it, but I worked a lot. I worked to get to that point, you know, starting out at household, which became HSBC back in the early 2000s. Um, just learned as much as I could coming. I was 20, 21 years old mm -hmm. when I first got into household HSBC. So just, you know, two, three years out of high school, um, just not knowing much about mortgages, lending, yeah, anything, anything. <laughs> right. just being a 21-year-old kid. Which, what did you start will, doing there? What was your first Default job? servicing, which... Collections? Collections. Mm -hmm. It's not for everybody. Mm -hmm. And I, it, looking back at it, I probably wasn't the best person for it because I'm not as cutthroat as a, what you would ideally see as a collector. You know, I do have a lot of emotion and empathy for, for folks, which it doesn't go well when you try to reach different numbers and quotas at the end of the month. Mm -hmm. um, so, but I did that for three years initially there at, at Household, which became HSBC. Um, I learned quite a bit about the mortgage industry from, especially on the back end, um, learning how the, the default process works which has served me well in my career since then. Mm -hmm. um, and then moved on, did a little bit of uh, foreclosure. Um, moved While at HSBC, I moved on to uh, underwriting side or loan originations, fraud prevention, which was going absolutely bonkers back in 2004, 2005, 2006. This, yeah, this was, the, you were there when all of the bad stuff was going on that was not, regulated yet horrible stuff or in the, you know, the market hadn't fallen apart yet when you were there oh it was horrible it was it was we had a small team that we knew what we were looking for um my boss at the time um him and a couple of statistics guys at hsbc's had, had put together this algorithmic uh, scorecard to try and identify potential potentially bad loans and we would identify them through the underwriting process we would get we would do a deep dive and look at these things and just laugh because of the things that we saw from fake documents left and right, flat out lies. I remember one instance specifically 
this gentleman, or this, I'm sorry, this loan, the, we came in, we did a dip, deep dive. We found that the guy died a week before the loan closed, the borrower. We found, his, we found record of his death and we sent it back to the underwriter. She laughed, our underwriter from HSBC. She laughed, presented it back to the, to the other company that was originating the loan. And like, no, no, he's, he's alive. He is well and alive. We have no issue with him. We saw him here just a couple of days ago. So we killed it. We said, no, we're not buying this loan. Unfortunately, our sales came back behind our backs and bought it anyway. Mm -hmm. For that was a relationship deal, right? Wasn't yeah. it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I remember I remember that because I worked there at the, the same. I wasn't in your department, but I worked there at the same time. And uh, I remember the, you know, the the director walking into the VP's office with a with an armful of turndowns, you know, 10, 15 turndowns in his arm. And then he would come out with none because they were all signed up. On. Exactly. <laughs> we'll and take I, this loan for the relationship. We don't want to lose them as a client. And I remember that specific deal three months later. No payments have been made. Yeah. First payment default. Exactly. And, and we get it back again. Hey, can you guys look at this again? You guys initially. You missed something. <laughs> you missed something on this. Can you guys look at this again? <laughs> like, we killed this three months ago. Why is this here? We went, did a further dive. We actually found the guy's death certificate. Not just the record of his death through Social Security traces, et cetera. Mm -hmm. We found his death certificate. Presented it back to the underwriter. And at that point, the, the originating lender was like, okay. Got me. Got me. Got wow. us. <laughs> so it was crazy. That's just one example out of thousands, oh, I'm yeah. sure, that came through there. Oh, and we would, we would get, we would, HSBC would buy loans from different lenders, different wholesale lenders, and we'd get the same buyer and have four or five different houses from different lenders, all claiming this is going to be my primary house, my first time purchase, mm -hmm. and make. $30,000 a month, stated income, I don't have to prove anything, and all these eventually led to what happened in the mortgage industry back around that time when mm -hmm. everything was just a house of cards. Yeah. And everything just collapsed. Yeah. Absolutely collapsed. Mm -hmm. It was absolutely horrible. You know, a lot, of, if you played the timing right, you benefited it, especially here as a homeowner here in Florida. I remember I bought my second home in two, that March of 2003. Very, very modest home. My brother and I bought it together. Um, new construction down in Riverview, down off of Big Bend in Summerfield. Mm -hmm. Very much. Three bedroom, two bath, one car garage. It was going to be the house that our mom was going to retire in. That was going to be her house. And we bought it in March of 03. It's crazy to think about these numbers now, but we bought a mm -hmm. new construction for 85000 Wow. Nobody's going to relate, like, be able to... <laughs> yeah. Two, that. <laughs> two years later, I know these numbers still make sense now, but two years later when my mom eventually passed away, but my brother and I decided to sell it. And less than two years later, we did absolutely nothing to the house. We just lived in it. Mm -hmm. We sold it for 185. Yeah. Less than two years later. 50 grand a year. Yep. 100,000 in appreciation in less than two years. And just actually just over two years because I avoided capital gains, <laughs> but it was a hundred thousand in appreciation. And then less than two, that was, so that was Oh five when we sold it, August of Oh five. And then that same house around 2007 here in, here in Riverview, 2007, 2008, that house was probably worth back around 90,000. It just spiked up yep. and then crashed down. Mm-hmm. 
that's that's how we were that's how the market was here in Florida yeah. as it was in many other places and yeah and that's where every house on the street was for sale yeah you know you just look down the road and see a a sea of for sale signs in the yard realtor signs yep yeah that was tough at that time yeah, yeah. so after after your underwriting time that would have been that would have put things in what like uh 2000 Six ish, yeah, two thousand six, two thousand seven, because that's when HSBC here decided, okay, we're going to start closing up shop on the correspondent lending division. So our team underwriting, they started making massive cuts. So I got my pink slip. I knew it was coming. Mm-hmm. Um, I was lucky enough that part of our upper management, I know one had gone over to Goldman Sachs. Goldman by that time had seen what was happening and they wanted subject matter experts, not just the traders up in New York that were just buying all the, all these securities, all these, all this paper, they wanted to do a a deeper dive into what they were actually buying. Mm -hmm. So one of our, one of the upper executives had moved over to Goldman and then his, then one of my bosses moved over and then a few of us moved over. Once I got my pink slip, you know, when interviewed, which was the longest interview of my life, by the way. <laughs> yeah, they're serious about who they bring in there, right? <laughs> yeah, I went in for an interview. They put you in this little room. You're in there for eight hours. You're allowed to go out to the bathroom, so you don't you don't have to just stay in there. <laughs> um, one person comes in, a managing director comes in, a VP, associate comes in. They talk to you for 10, 15 minutes. Then they leave, leave you alone for 15 minutes, and another person comes in, et cetera, et cetera. And that happens for about, that, I was there for eight hours. Wow. It was a little, and they bring you lunch. So you don't go out for lunch. They bring you lunch. <laughs> and it was, a, it was an interesting experience. Yeah. It's but, like an um, interrogation. It is, but it was worthwhile. Um, I got a position there, and I spent roughly two years there. And I learned, I learned a lot at HSBC. I learned so much more while I was there, mm-hmm. just interacting with everybody that had been part of that that world, and especially on the trade side, New York, what they were buying, the paper. I remember conference calls when all, they were talking about the quality of the paper that was AAA rated, AAA rated, but it wasn't. And we kept finding all these horrible, horrible deals. And eventually the market just continued to tank, continued to tank. And like I said, I was there for almost two years. Um, my family situation changed. Um, I got engaged, I actually got married at that point and decided to make, make a move up to Illinois. So I moved up to Springfield, Illinois, about in the middle of the state, <laughs> 94 hours south of Chicago. So it was 120,000 people surrounded by corn and soybeans. Great little town, I loved the, the people. I love people from the Midwest, I, I, grew, I grew to love it. And, and I spent two years there working at a small local bank called Marine Bank. And there I basically, I had a boss that ran the loss mitigation default area, but I basically ran the whole thing from from initial uh, early delinquency all the way through foreclosure, bankruptcy. We serviced the, the portfolio that we would originate for Fannie, mm-hmm. Fannie Mae. Okay. So learned the entire aspect, things that I didn't do at HSBC because I was in, in sm- yeah, small departments. Yeah, just a little segment of the process. Basically did the whole thing. And I was there for two years. Family situation changed again. We don't have to go into that. <laughs> Moved back to Florida. Did default for a couple more years at a couple more places. Eventually went back to HSBC. Even though I knew they were 
they were slowly closing up shop. I had an opportunity to learn more of the business. I got into vendor management, working with our law firms that would handle the foreclosures, bankruptcies, not necessarily doing the, the, the default servicing, but managing the law firms that would handle all the legal stuff for us. It's it's bonkers how how much work there is associated with default and the administration of it. Oh, it's massive. Right? Because, you know, you follow... The, the bubble originally at HSBC was origination, right? So you yep. had tons of underwriters, tons of, like, uh, you know, credit analysts and, and warehouse people, and, you know, that's just where the work is. And then default was just kind of default it is what it is. You know, it's like every bank's got a default yeah. place. And then, you know, the bubble moved from origination to default. And now there's not enough bodies yeah. to handle. And there, now there's no origination. So exactly. they're gone, right? They're very, very, very limited. And then you move over to default. And now you've got that bubble. And now you've got huge timelines and extended periods of time that it takes to get through that that process you know the the 240 plus collection bucket hmm. i remember was what is that nine months of delinquency yeah. plus so it could be two years or five years or three years depending on your state and depending on what kind of action you've taken through that time because the banks just couldn't foreclose fast enough they couldn't here you in know, florida the court systems couldn't handle it they couldn't they couldn't handle it Plus, you needed specific documents to complete foreclosures. Mm -hmm. and they can't find it. They and can't the, find a note. They the, can't find the collateral. Exactly. The way the industry was set up, because it was from 2000, I would say late 2001, everything just ramped up on the origination side. And just the paperwork, all, all of it got lost. Mm -hmm. You had copies of it. But here in Florida, you needed to provide the original docs. Yeah. And a lot of times they couldn't find the original docs. <laughs> And that's when you started seeing all these law firms advertise, hey, foreclosure defense, foreclosure defense. Yeah. If, you, if they can't find their docs, they can't foreclose. Yeah. And then people strategically started to, to default because they knew the banks couldn't do anything. And that, that even added to the problems here. It was absolutely horrible. I know. Well, people always say, you know, I'm, what, you think the market's going to crash again? And I'm like, well, you know, if, if it does, it's not going to be anything like it was last time no i hear yeah. that all the time at people because we've had a lot of appreciation over the past two two three years it's not going to come back like it was it's not going to have that type of dip one because the, there's more safeguards in place you don't have the bad paper that we had back then yeah how hard is it to get a loan now well, you know it's lenders turn over every rock and verify everything and absolutely the the no down payment programs are like very rare and they're very restrictive and income driven and very very detailed oh, you know and they it takes wanna, a lot to get that done and they want to know where every little dollar every penny came from mm -hmm. i remember i had this conversation with a customer of mine uh, a few months ago and uh he had money stashed away and then all of a sudden he deposited into his account and the bank would throw up a red flag. Mm -hmm. Hey, where did this money come from? Yeah, what is this? We need to know where this money came from. And he's like, well, I had it stored away and I deposited it because I'm going to use it towards a down payment. Well, the bank doesn't prove it. <laughs> they want to know where it's coming from because if they can't prove where they know where it's coming from and something happened on the back end audit, something with from the Fed, something happens, they can get liable because they don't, that money may have been, um, come by illicit means. Yeah, I don't know. And that's where the anti-money laundering mm -hmm. and the uh, 
Patriot Act, terrorism money. That's where a lot of that stuff comes from is to make sure that the trail of money is legitimate. And it's not you're not washing money for a drug dealer or for a terrorist that's trying to move money around while you're trying to buy a house. And it's, you know, it gets a little ridiculous, but the plan, you know, we all got to play by the rules to get that. And yeah, so that that is interesting. So you've you've been able to see how they start, how they stop and then everything in between. Yep. Right. So the whole gamut. So that when I decided to make my final career change, what I've been doing now for almost eight years in the real estate side, I took all that knowledge that I had accumulated over 16 years. And my hope was that I could parlay that into the benefit for my customers Mm -hmm. that would work with them both on the selling side and buying side. Um, And it has, it's worked out beautifully. I remember when I interviewed with, my now broker, the owner of my company, Sophia, um, she's like, when you're you're coming into this industry so far ahead than, than most agents when they get, get into this industry, because a lot of them just don't know anything about the industry. They're coming into it green. They've, mm-hmm. other, they've had other professions, other careers, but they have a huge learning curve. You have the financial finance background, so it's going to be a huge benefit, and it has been. Yeah, and title and like all the, True. you know, title clouds and the way that the process works in the back end, even in the front end, knowing what it takes to clear a title and get a new loan put on it or get ownership transferred or, you know, things like that. A lot mm-hmm. of, I can, I can only imagine I can empathize with somebody coming into the industry and being completely green oh. <laughs> about, and not knowing what a mortgage does and what a note does and what title means and what does clear title mean? What does a cloud on title mean? What does list pendants mean? Like, what are these, what is this stuff? You know, how would you even, how would you navigate that without just a crash course and just self-learning when for I, years? When I was fine, when I was leaving, <clears throat> excuse me, when I was leaving HSBC for the second time and transitioning over to becoming a realtor, I took the seven here in Florida to get a real estate license is generally relatively easy. Mm-hmm. You have basically, I think it's 84, 86 hours of, of training of, of classwork. And then you take the state exam. Well, I was 60 hours. I forgot. 63. 63. Yeah. And then 45. Yeah. You're right. Thank you. So I took the seven day crash course <laughs> on site, learn on site in a classroom, eight to five Monday through Sunday. And, I did it because I had the background and I knew I could do it. And I, I didn't have a job because I would just, I just left. I was transitioning over. So I did it. And the whole class was full. We had about 30 uh, students in that class. What year was that? This was 2016. Okay. 2016, yes. Yeah. And I remember going through that class and some of the things are new because you don't know everything. But most of it, what I was learning, I had at least some knowledge base especially when it came to the mortgage side. I was like, okay, this chapter is great. No issue. <laughs> but then seeing the looks on faces from all the other students in the class, some of them had absolutely zero clue, <laughs> no clue how they were going to one pass the end of course exam at the end of the week, let alone the state exam. Yeah, the hard one. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And anybody that's taken a state exam, either here in Florida or in other states, you go into this little room, you have dividers on either side and a computer that was built in 1985. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no calculators, no calculator, no, just no shoot phone, a paper. no notes, no gum, no nothing. Just empty your pockets. <laughs> Very intimidating. Yeah. So, and I was lucky enough that I had that knowledge base. So the class was was 
I worked, but I was able to make it happen relatively easily. And I took the state exam, passed it on the first try. And that's when I started my career. Oh, a so, one-timer, huh? One-timer. Okay. And then uh, two, three years passed by. Three years? Four years. Actually, five years. Five years passed by, and I decided to get my broker's license. So it was, I talked to my bro- broker owner, and I was like, listen, I want to get my broker's license here in Florida. After you get your sales li- license, you have to wait two years mm-hmm. to get your broker's license. And I want to get my broker's license. Not that I'm going anywhere, not that I'm going to start my own shop anytime soon because I'm not ready for that and the way my career is going. Um, but I want to get my broker's license just to have that added education, that added knowledge base, and and be able to interact with colleagues and customers at a higher level. Yeah. And for continuity with the business because my brokerage, we're a small brokerage, boutique firm. Um, you know, God forbid anything happened to my broker owner, you know, I could step in and run it while she's out. Right. You can help with that. Exactly. Now, did I see something? I, I know I did. What was, tell me about your recent... Um Extra responsibilities you're taking there. Are you what? What's your role at the brokerage? Co, co, uh, broker record, co-broker okay. record. Okay. So basically, you know, we're both. She's the owner of the company, but we're both equals in terms of the broker record with the state. Okay. So I'm a broker associate, broker of record. Um, I'd still do my own business, but I do a lot of the. I do some of the um, administrative stuff mm-hmm. as we're coming in. So, and as we grow, as bring as we bring in new agents, a lot of those responsibilities will fall on me. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's great. No, I'm look. It's I'm glad she's trusted me with that with that responsibility. It's mm-hmm. been a great relationship I've had with her for going on eight years now. Yeah, she's great. I've met her before, and uh, she seems like the, a really good one to have in your in your corner. She's a rock star. Yeah, she's she knows she's been in the business for over twenty years. Um, and she knows every little bit about Tampa real estate, mm-hmm. Tampa Bay real estate as a whole. Um, and I'm very lucky that I partnered with her yeah. and, and came into her, came into her brokerage. Yeah. And I, she, you, she was Coldwell when you started, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When we started, she was at Coldwell Banker. She and then had, transitioned she, to independent. Yep. She had built her brand under Coldwell, but sometimes the big broker dudes don't like she kept getting her. Yeah. Ha- she kept getting her hand slapped. Right. I mean, that's common. You <laughs> exactly. see that at a lot of different places, and you know, it's very rare to find a real estate agent that starts at one place and ends at one place. Yeah. You know, normally there's some kind of migration from one to another, whether it be a a good thing or a bad thing, yep. and then some that they can't seem to stay in one spot for more than a year. You know, exactly. and it takes it goes all you know that that spectrum of change. I think affects everybody. And exactly. once you land somewhere that you know is comfortable and, you know, maybe you figure out it's not where you're at, but who you are, <laughs> and exactly. then you kind of stop moving. Exactly. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so she came into the office one day, myself, her, her admin was there and a couple of us, she walked, locked the door. She's like, okay, I'm going to start my own brokerage. <laughs> okay, we're coming with you. Yeah. And a few months later, we were out on our own and it's been an awesome adventure. Yeah, that's great. Do you guys have an office? Or are you virtual? No, we have an office. Yeah, small office over in uh, off of Howard and Swan in South Tampa. Oh yeah, right above the Starbucks. Mm-hmm. So great place to be. Great location. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> so that's great. You've you've given a background on you know how you got started and how you wound up here. So let's talk a little bit about why you chose to get into being a real estate agent, right? Because that's yeah. obviously you've worked corporate for a long time and you, you didn't have to be the face, exactly. you know, you didn't have to be the retail person, the person that's out there 
given the customer service and the and the sales aspect of things and being a consultant. So what what do you think some main con- contributions were for you to to make that move? Well, I spent 16 years on that side of the business, like I said previously. And when I was coming around to getting my second set of walking papers, <laughs> um, I was looking around and we, we've had colleagues that had moved on to different companies. Just to name a few, went from HSBC, some went to Chase, Citibank, Bank of America, Raymond James, uh, other places. And I was just looking around, I was like, I, my first thing at HSBC, I was I was there for seven years. And then I left. You know, this is a good time. Speaking of oh, yeah. uh, HSBC, this is actually, I want to see if, if our people remember these guys. Is that going to focus? I don't know. I don't think so. Maybe that'll do it. Yeah. Strive to Arrive, San Juan, March 3rd. Through the sixteenth year two thousand three, so this is a relic. <laughs> this is a, um, you know, what they used to do is, and then this guy here, my daughter got a hold of this one, and she's got a, she put a bandaid on him, and then she ripped off the the tag, and I told her that was my collectible. It's from my from my days back at the corporate job, uh, but this one was for was it Montreal or Toronto, Montreal, one of some somewhere in yeah. Canada, some trip, but. Back in the day, they used to do trips um, for their their top performers when it came to moving delinquency and, you know, being a rock star collector. They they take a big company trip to somewhere in the world. I know they did Canada. Cancun once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like the Caribbean a few times, I think, and then San Juan and, like, I don't remember. I never won on one. I never (laughs) won one of those either. I wasn't in one place long enough to be able to, uh, to take advantage of that, so... It was one of those things that I'd have a good month, good month, and then the the trip incentive would come up, and then I'd have a horrible month. It never failed. Mm-hmm. I was like, right, go enjoy yourself. Yeah. I'll be back here. <laughs> yeah, you. Um, I started there in the year two thousand, I believe, and then you came in shortly after. Yes, that time. Not right? too, not too far, not too long after you. Mm-hmm. And then I think I got a referral bonus for yep. getting you in there, if I remember right. <laughs> you did. And then. Uh, your, you know, my path was similar, but not the same because we were both in collections for a little while. Did you ever wind up in loss mitigation or where, what was your last? Cause the, what they, they had them by departments and it was like your, your early 30 day delinquency, your mid range 60 to 90. And then like 90 plus was loss mitigation. And then you either went to bankruptcy or foreclosure or like support. Yeah, I did. I did early stage, mid range and and 60 to 90. Mm-hmm. I never went into the foreclosure area right. while I was there those first three years. Um, by the by the end of my third year, I had moved on. I changed departments, went up to the underwriting. Um, yeah. And were you ever project, an underwriter project. or you went straight to BVF? Straight to BVF. Okay. BVF was basically uh, uh, borrower verifications, what we called it. Yep. It was basically a deeper dive mm-hmm. that the underwriters, because the underwriters had a, li- a finite amount of time. I was an underwriter. And they just told us, circle the yes box. Yeah, if, you know, if that's all a, we did. If, if, it, if a, the numbers were there, we checked our boxes, we went through it, we calculated. If it worked, it worked. If it was a problem, it went to our manager, and he either fixed it or it went to the VP and then it got fixed. Exactly. So we were basically just, uh, you know, glorified uh, document checkers at that point. If it fit the box, it went. It's mm-hmm. good. Yep. And our team came in. Even though something might still fit the box, something flagged it that we would do a deeper dive. I think 
<coughs> I think when I was an underwriter, that that might have been one of my favorite. I think that was my favorite job. I really liked that job. I was always envious of the road underwriters because all of you guys would head out on Sunday night, fly somewhere, stay the entire week, and then fly home on Friday. And this is all because computers weren't a thing yet. Exactly. You know, computers were totally a thing. We all had computers, but all the files were in, you know, these double phone book thick yep. uh, legal size loan files that anybody in the industry knows what I'm talking about. But we didn't underwrite on computers yet. And when I was there during that time, they started to push this new system for underwriting on the computer. Mm-hmm. And everybody was like, ah, blah, blah, I can't do this. I work faster on paper. <laughs> you know? And I now looking back, I'm like, man, that's, they used to fly an army of underwriters around the yeah. country spending God knows how much money on airfare and hotels and food and per diem and all the expenses that comes along with that. And there were hundreds of them. Hundreds and of it them. was like an army flying around, like like just a, a total production. Plus and all the contractors you'd bring in as well. Yeah, yeah. The it's the money. Cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. And now, like, people will run the other way if they see a, a paper loan file. Yeah. You know, it's it has to be on the computer. It's not going to get done. And, yeah, that was my favorite. We had a great team there. You know, household as a company – during the time I was there, I feel like it was a just an awesome company. I'm so fortunate to have been able to start off there in that career. You know, I didn't I didn't know anything when I started either. I was my job before that. I was working at Eckerd Drug, and yeah. then I didn't have that job anymore. And I didn't know what I was going to do. I'm like, what what am I doing here? And I I was in college. I was taking classes, and I just didn't have any sort of direction. And my dad handed me a job fair ad from a newspaper and uh, they were having a job fair at a hotel in Brandon. And this is when they had relocated from Illinois Chicago, to yep. Brandon. They opened the, the Regency building and they were trying to fill it. And so I went for an interview at the job fair on site right there. And then I went to Harbor Island to get processed. And then I started my first day at the Grand Regency. Oh, okay. And only like half of one floor was built out and then the other two floors were completely wide open. They didn't even have cubicles in them yet. Wow. And my Scott Mowry interviewed me, yeah. rest his soul. Yeah. I just, you know, learned a little while ago that he had passed and I feel terrible about that. It's, that's crazy. He was such a, a good boss and leader, yeah, he but was he, a good guy. yeah, I liked him. He was really great. And he interviewed me and uh first collection team on the floor in Florida and I didn't know what I, I didn't have any idea. You know, they sent you through however many weeks of training and then there you on the phone. And I just took off and you know, the rest is history yeah. and stayed in the industry and been there for 23 years now. Yeah. Same, so. same here. You, cause I met you through your, through your now wife. Mm-hmm. Cause I, I, I managed her at, our, mm-hmm. at where I worked. And then I remember you came in one day. You guys weren't even together. You guys were just friends. Yeah, from we were. What I recall. Yeah, I don't even know if I was. I couldn't even say I was friends with her at that point because <laughs> I barely knew who she was at then at that yep. time. And you, you know, you said you had started this job, and I was like, "Hey, just send me some information on it." You did. I sent in my application. They called me. Quick interview because mm-hmm. they were just trying to bring bodies in. I think mm-hmm. just to try to fill, uh, fill in the, what their needs. Yeah. And then just it went from there. Mm-hmm. Started from this. Because I was in an industry that I really didn't want to be in. and You I've, can say what it was. I was in the food <laughs> service industry. I was mad. My wife tells me, <laughs> I told her you were coming on the show, and she's like, she laughs. She's like, you know what's funny is that 
I have a very different Jonathan in my mind than you have in your mind. <laughs> it's like it's like we know two different people because I remember Jonathan in an apron and being our boss and like running <laughs> us and telling us kids what to do. Because she's, I mean, kids, you were only what three, four I years was apart. Yeah, it's I not was like twenty. I wasn't that much right. older than them. Yeah, I think I'm I'm a year older than her, and so I think you're maybe two years on her. And she yeah. felt like you know you were the the boss. <laughs> well, I was in I was in that industry. From high school, I started my junior year in high school mm-hmm. just to have a job. Yeah, and I stayed through it. Um, things at home kept me at that job because my mom, my mom was getting sick. Um, initial initial stages of her illness, so I stayed there. And through after I graduated high school, worked some more. I was progressing nicely. They the company wanted me to manage my own store out in Winter Haven, mm-hmm. which I was like, I live in Brandon. I'm not driving out yeah, to Winter Haven every single day. That kind of work is just is grueling. You know, so, retail work and food service work is yeah. just like, it's soul sucking. Yeah, no offense to your wife at that point or anybody of that age. So like, <laughs> I don't want to work with a whole bunch of 16 year olds anymore. Yeah. I'm sorry. Right. <laughs> yeah, your, your success is the, totally dependent on the 16 year old high school kids. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But I learned a lot there. A lot of learned, learned a lot about responsibility management, which served me well as I moved on in my, in, when I changed careers. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, being at household was really, really great because they had such a good culture. And I haven't been corporate in many, many years, but I, on the way out of corporate, I did a stint at Chase and it ain't the same. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not the same kind of culture, uh, you know, promote from within type mentality. It's just it's very my my take on it personally is it's very cold, very just nobody knows each other and no, it's, it's just it's not totally not the same household had something really special going yeah. on. And that's, and, and that was part of the reason why when I decided to make the career, I didn't want to just jump to somewhere else. Mm-hmm. I didn't want that feeling of just, okay, I got to starting yeah, over like here. Like you said, you, you, your second set of marching orders, your yeah. pink slips, and then of no, through no fault of your own. No, it's just industries, things yeah, that we this, can't This control. job's not here anymore. There's exactly. nothing you can do about it. And yeah, I definitely felt that too, because I saw, you know, I, I had already gotten out of HSBC before they started to slide. I because I had jumped out and become a realtor during that time, and I left them. And then when I went back, I did the second stint there too. Mm-hmm. Went back after the market had blown up, and now I was in the the nine month plus collection bucket, and it was just chaos at that time because HSBC was in charge now, and they really changed the culture because yeah. it's not independent anymore it's not household anymore it's hsbc being ran from from london and from hong kong and from you know worldwide so a completely completely different feeling that was there and i didn't want to and then i went to another corporate job after that and that was chaos as well at quantum and uh just (laughs) completely like how do you guys stay keep this keep the lights on here <laughs> like how does this thing even work that was interesting and was you know and both of those all three of those those companies eventually you know they sent everybody packing and that was my decision too it's like you know i've been around so long in this industry what what do i have to lose by going out on my own and doing it on my own at least i can control like what comes in and what i focus on and what i do and nobody else is really over to top of me to to fire me. Yep. That was <laughs> my catalyst. That was my catalyst. I was in a position then I was by myself. You know, I wasn't married. I didn't have any kids and I took a, 
a leap of faith on myself. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm going to try this. I have the background. I have the knowledge. See if I can make this work in, on real estate sales, become a realtor. And I have enough confidence in myself that if I do fall flat on my face, I can get myself back up. Yeah. Yeah. You've got a safety net to be able to go do something else. I don't have to worry. I don't have to be concerned about my home life and because I was very lucky. Mm-hmm. It was just me. Yeah. And I did it. You know, I had a little bit, I had savings. When you get into this industry, it is difficult when you get into real estate because you don't have your paycheck every two weeks no, or the 15th and 30th of the month. Yeah. If you're, 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 First paycheck is 30 days away if you're lucky, right? Well, my broker owner, Sophia, when we when I was first talking to her about getting into this industry, she's like, do you have a little money saved? I'm like, yeah. She's like, make sure you use it wisely because your first year is going to be, some people get re- very lucky and mm-hmm. they make it quick, mm-hmm. but most agents, it takes a while for that system to start, you know, for you to get traction. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember from, I started April of 2016 as a realtor that first year of the rest of 2016 i made maybe six thousand dollars yeah <laughs> so i ran through my savings <laughs> but by this by 2017 and trying to remain positive and in it and doing positive. all the work and doing all the things that you're supposed to be doing exactly yeah. but by 2017 all that groundwork all that foundation work that i had laid started paid dividends mm-hmm. all those seeds that i had planted paid dividends and by 2017, I was back to where I previously was in my salary job. And it's just been better ever since. Yeah, yeah, that's great. But yeah. and that's what, in this industry, a lot of people get in it and they, they see everything that's on HDTV and all the, all the cable shows about real estate and selling all these million-dollar houses, and they get into it. But you only have to show people three houses on TV, <laughs> and they have to pick one, right? Isn't exactly. that the rule? <laughs> exactly. Not the the customers that you've been working with for 18, 24 months mm-hmm. that you've showed them 40, 50 properties and mm-hmm. they haven't decided yet because they really don't want to move from, from where they're living at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's <laughs> going to take a very special house to get them motivated. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, they're out there. It's not It's not all, uh, but there's no commercials in this in this uh, industry either. <laughs> HGTV has commercials. How do you, you know, you talk about the, the 40, 50 showings and, People who, maybe people who have some stress doing that. So how do you manage stress of these transactions and the the weight of this stuff happening? You know, the weight of somebody uprooting and moving and settling into a new neighborhood or community or state or whatever. How do you manage that stress for your clients and, and for yourself too? Well, I try and take as much burden off the, the home buyer or the home seller as possible. Because in many cases, not everybody buys a house every two, three years or sells a house every two, three years. Mm-hmm. And many times they're coming in and they're buying a house and this is probably going to be the house they're going to be living in for the next 10, 15 years, 20 years. You don't know, depending on how their family situation, their life situation changes. And it's a massive decision. It's not everybody has a few hundred thousand dollars sitting in the bank that they can just you know, plop down and buy a house. They have to go through this process of, getting a mortgage, getting financially right so they can qualify for a mortgage. So I take them through the entire process, walk them through it from the initial consultation, just walk them through the entire process, even if it means talking to them for two hours about every little bit as we, of the initial process to get them comfortable because they're going to have questions along the way. But if I can get them comfortable enough and, and explain to them this is how it's going to go, this is how 
what I need you to do. This is what may happen. These are a couple of the curveballs that probably will show up somewhere along the line because it's not going to be just a smooth transaction. No, very rarely have you had a transaction that it's super smooth and nothing went wrong. Mm -hmm. You just prepare them for all those possible contingencies and let them know, listen, there might something may come up that neither of us, neither of us, neither one of us might see, but we're going to adjust accordingly. As long as we're open, we're transparent, and we, and we talk about it, have open communication, this will be a, a stress, not, a, not as, as stressful process as it possibly could be. Mm -hmm. um, and So that sounds like setting expectations. Setting the expectations, yeah. making sure they understand the process from beginning, from, from the initial consultation, lending, what happens through the process, identifying a house, identifying a neighborhood, inspections, title company negotiations dealing appraisals with, dealing with the seller dealing with the counterparties uh, the other agent the inspectors everything along mm -hmm. the line yeah yeah it's, it's uh, sometimes that some people feel like that this is a it's like getting a credit card sometimes you know mm -hmm. you just sign up for it and now you got it or it's like maybe buying a car where you show up and you buy the car and you leave <laughs> like there's there's too much. There's too much to it, you know. Title and research and the moving and inspections and negotiations and Indeed. then you get into you know well tests and pool equipment and you know all all these different things and it's just it's not it's not instantaneous. It's not no. as simple as just clicking on a on a thing and signing for it. Yeah. You know, it's totally not that easy. Indeed. What um, what motivates you? In real estate, you know, what, what keeps you going? I like helping people. I really, you know, I, that sounds like a cliche, but I really do enjoy helping people. Uh, finding, finding the house that they've been looking for or selling the house that they're looking to sell. Um, whether they've had a life event change, work change, relocation for whatever reason. Life happens. People get married. People die. People you know, kids grow up, new kids are born, and things happen that make you adjust your your home situation. So if I can help in any way uh, get you to that next stage of your life, whether it's selling your smaller house so you can upgrade to a bigger house, selling a condo so you can move into a single, single family, or vice versa, yeah. going from a single family to something a little smaller because the kids are gone. Um, I want to help you through that process. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love where I live. This is, you know, the Tampa Bay area. I've, I've lived here the majority of my life. I think there's only, I've six years of my life. Have I lived somewhere else? The first four years when I was born in Puerto Rico and two years in Illinois. Mm -hmm. Other than that, Tampa Bay has been home. Yeah. And I've moved all over the place because my parents, when I was growing up, very transient. <laughs> so <laughs> I've, I've lived everywhere from Valrico to Riverview all the way to Wesley Chapel, Two months in Orlando. I don't. I was a kid. Don't claim I, Orlando. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I lived in St. Pete for a couple of years, which I, when I was at Goldman, I absolutely loved downtown St. Pete. Mm -hmm. But um, it's I I know what this area is, what it has been, and what it will be. It's absolutely blowing up, and yeah. I absolutely love it. Yeah, it's been blowing up for a long time, mm -hmm. and it's it's still plenty plenty room to grow too. I feel like you know it it's is. getting more congested. When I say room to grow, I mean you know the expanded areas, you know, the different neighborhoods, you know, Epperson Ranch and down south, Parish, Parish. <laughs> Manatee, you know, that whole area is ripe for 
development and it's coming, you know, it's there. You can see it just drive through it and you can see that it's, that it's there. What, when I explain Tampa Bay to anybody that's looking to relocate here from out of state, you know, myself, it's the perfect size. It's not Miami. Mm -hmm. It never will be Miami. I hope not. It never, (laughs) it's not New York. It's not Atlanta. It's not LA. It's the perfect size. Mm -hmm. I call Tampa for myself, my goalie lock zone. Because mm-hmm. it's not too big, it's yeah, not too small, right. it's just right. And you have everything that you could ever want here. Whether you want a more urban lifestyle, living closer to downtown, whether it's Tampa or St. Pete, mm-hmm. or you're more of a suburban living person, we have that. Mm-hmm. Rural, plenty of that. Um, beach life, obviously we have that. Fishing, Fishing water sports. Water, yeah. Exactly. We just don't have hills and snow. True. The biggest biggest things we don't have we all have the sports teams exactly you have a good airport that you can get to the great airport get, get to the yeah snow. i'm super proud of of tampa's airport i think it's amazing oh absolutely compared to a lot of places i've flown into it's like i'm, I'm spoiled <laughs> at tampa it's a great place they my, do it right my wife's son worked at the airport for a few months last year mm-hmm. he's just in college but uh, he worked there and he enjoyed it he was a wheelchair courier okay i don't know what you call him i don't know but he, he enjoyed know. it you wanted to work at the airport for yeah, a couple months. That's so. cool. I like. I still like going to the airport and watching planes land, and take off. I think that's awesome. I've been doing that since I was a little kid. Oh yeah, <laughs> I remember years back in the eighties. My dad would drive, park us right off of Hillsboro, mm-hmm. right where the yeah, right where they go over you. Yep. Yeah, can't do that anymore. Yeah, we would go to the the top of the garage mm. and watch off the off the ledge. That was always pretty cool. So, you know, we mentioned water sports in Tampa. What I don't do when I'm, when I do what I'm not working. Yeah, (laughs) right. Yeah, exactly. So you were, you're just coming off of a five day, uh, pretty intense session with, uh, what do you, can you explain it? Dragon boating, right? Yes. So I, years ago, back in 2005, I was introduced to this sport called dragon boat by my younger brother and I fell in love with it. And I joined the local club team here a year later in 2006. Um, it, for those who don't know, Dragon Boat, it's a 20-person canoe originated in China. You 20, 10 rows, 20 people. You have a helmsman in the back, drummer in the front, similar to a coxswain in, in rowing. And it's a sprint sport, 200 meters, 500 meters, 1,000 meters, 2,000 meters. And you just go. Mm-hmm. Paddle your heart off and just go. <laughs> and... I just fell in love with it. I've always been athletically inclined my entire life. I never really got the opportunity to explore that athleticism in high school or or after, but this was my outlet. I could explore that, that side of me. And from 2005, I loved it. I got HSBC involved in it because we had three teams here locally. They had sponsored races up in New York, um, up there, but nothing down here. I got them involved here, three races. We had three teams for three years. It was one of the major sponsors down here. Threw a lot of money into the the community. That's when HSBC was, everything was still going well. Yeah, Yeah, they weren't. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) They weren't bleeding. And then, like I said, joined the club team. Um, When I I moved away and when I moved back, I rejoined paddling. That was one of my main things of moving back here because I wanted one continue my career and get back into the water. So the paddling in the cornfields is not not it a thing. Didn't work. <laughs> didn't work. We have a, there's a big lake, Lake Springfield, but it didn't work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I came back, found the sport again, and I so happened to fall into coaching of my club team. Um, and on top of that, 
me competing at a higher level. Um, I've been lucky enough and determined enough that I've made the U.S. national team um, four times. Um, world championships um, are every two, two years, 2013, 15, 17, 19, so four And five, you've been around the world with this, yes. right? So I've gone everywhere from Hungary to Poland to Italy twice, China, Thailand, Canada um, with this sport. So I coach, awesome. I coach my club team. Um, and last year, a very good friend of mine, Megan Roberts, who's up in Philadelphia, who was one of my teammates on the, on the U.S. national team, she came up to me and said, hey, listen, um, thinking of coaching the U.S. women's national team, um, but I, I, I want you to do this with me. And I was absolutely blown away, honored, because my team, my club team here had a very strong women's program, um, more so than the guys' program, because the girls carried us <laughs> um and she came to us came to me and asked hey do you want do you want to join me on this i was like sure that sounds like an awesome idea um we both have been around the, the program for the better part of the last 10 years and just giving back now they're both you know i'm 40 going on 44 next month i'm not going to be able to hold on and hold on to, to these younger kids coming up and, and, <laughs> and beating me out so starting to transition that phase of my life from active athlete to more of a, of a coach on the national side. So, and then we, yeah, we hosted a five day camp for the national team contenders here in Tampa this past year out of the Julian B Lane Tampa river center. That's where my club team is based out of. So we use my club boats, my, my club's equipment. Um, and we hosted a group of over 110 people that came down from Philadelphia, New York, Boston, LA, Texas, um, all over the place um, for both the premier program and some of the senior categories, the for over 40s, over 50s. So um, it was an awesome adventure. So and that then, seems like a really tight knit group of people too. You have from to what be. I see. You have to be because you're you're literally you're you're right next to each other yeah. in the boat every for for multiple practice sessions and races. Yeah. So you have to get along. You have mm -hmm. to be very tight knit. Um, yeah, we can see. Sometimes you're out in Tampa, and you can see it out in the water. Yeah, right? you guys are right there in, on on display for everybody out oh, practicing. Yeah, we paddle, or, paddle up and down the river. We go yeah. around Harbor Island. Sometimes we go around Davis Island. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's awesome. It's a spectacle. Some people just see it, see the, hear the loud drum. They're like, "What is that?" And they just <laughs> see this long canoe just go by cranking fast too exactly. like really really booking it yeah that's yeah. that's really cool i've always thought that, that was a that was a great way for for you to stay connected with a community and be a real a real part of tampa oh you know, absolutely it's like what else is there in tampa you've got the water you've got the people you've got the buildings you've got you're like right there in the middle of it all yep that's and my, great my club team is involved in the community we have um we do river cleanups with Keep Tampa Bay Beautiful. We have our name on one of the signs along the river walk. Um, so it's a we we're very involved in our community community yeah. aspects of the, of the of what the club's uh, mission is. That's great. Yeah, I've always admired that. I think you do a great job of that. And you, you got the personality to be able to to coach, you know, and the I do. experience and the you know you're patient and it's you're patience. caring and my, you help people. And my wife know. my wife says I have the patience of a saint sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So where do you where do you live? What area of town do you live in? I live in Seminole Heights, old Seminole Heights. Okay. So for those of you that don't know 
Tampa that well. Seminole Heights is just north of downtown Tampa, literally five minutes from downtown Tampa. Mm-hmm. Um, Beautiful there, a lot of historic homes. And My wife and I live in a 1926 wood frame bungalow, which when we bought the house in 2017, the interior was beautifully renovated. The outside was quasi-renovated, um, so we just, we just finished all the renovations on the outside, put a new siding, impact windows. Um, we have a great, great yard, great lot, um, but it's lined by the river. Um, we're not on the river. We're just a few blocks off, mm-hmm. but beautiful historic area. Um, it's like the best thing about it is 25, 30 years ago, if you would have told me I was living in Seminole Heights, I would have thought you were crazy because <laughs> it wasn't the best part of town. Mm-hmm. There um, were very few like uh, standout places at that time. Exactly. In Seminole Heights. So we, and then my wife was in Valrico at the time. And then she wanted to move out of Valrico. She didn't need a 3000 square foot house anymore. Kids were going away, mm-hmm. um, moving out to college. So I introduced her to Seminole Heights and she absolutely fell in love with it because of the proximity to downtown, proximity to the river. Cause we do everything on the river cause she paddles as well. Mm-hmm. Um, both dragon boat and outrigger canoe, which I, which I paddle as well. And it's just a great area. We can, we went to dinner. We walked to dinner three times over the past week, different yeah. restaurants right at the end of our street. So it's, historic it's beautiful it's a it's a mishmash of of people from all walks of life um and we enjoy it it's not the suburbs i always tell that about seminal heights i'm like well it's an it's like one of the first suburbs though right like true it, for it tampa is. it's because that's where a lot of the neighborhood houses yeah. were when they were built in the 20s yep back that's then. that was kind of the, the next neighborhood and it just kept pushing you know exactly kept moving out farther and farther but the suburbs i mean like it's not like living out in a gated community. Yeah, right. So it's not it's, a master plan. No, place. it's not overly manicured. Some houses are more manicured than others. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's a little dirty, but that's what people like. They like the fact that it's a real neighborhood. Real people live there um, and it's walkable. It's there's distilleries, breweries, great restaurants. A couple of restaurants have like been raided by by a Michelin recently, which is awesome. What's your favorite restaurant around there? It's hard to pick a favorite. You can give me a couple if you want. I know it's hard for me to pick a favorite of anything. <laughs> we just went to uh, this past Saturday. We went to Front Porch, which is at the end of our block. It's this old Victorian house right on Florida and in Idlewild. And we sat on the front porch. Mm. Great evening to have a dinner outside with with some friends. Um, they have uh, Mecantina, if I'm saying that right, the Mexican restaurant um, just north of there. Um, and then a couple, couple classic places like the Bose ice cream shop. I don't know if you've been there. Have you been there before? No. It's right on Florida. Classic soft serve ice cream. Mm-hmm. The place has been there since the like the forties or fifties, <laughs> and it hasn't changed. So you get this giant cone of ice cream, soft serve. It's awesome. That's cool. And then just everything south of there. I love going to the Independent. The Independent's just south of uh, Hillsborough Avenue. Um, craft beers. Um, Place just opened up across the street recently called, called Common Dialect, another brewery. Uh, they brew their own beer there. So it's very uh, Cappy's Pizza, which is right next door. Awesome pizza. Yeah, that's, so it's, that's a ton of, it's like a foodie paradise there. It is. Now. You know, it's been that way for a few years, but it's, there's all kinds of awesome places that are down there that you can go find. Well, a buddy of mine, he lived on the same block as the Independent um, years ago. 
And I remember going out, hang out with him at his house. We'd walk to the independent, probably have a couple more than we should have. And, <laughs> but we'd walk back. <laughs> We mm-hmm. never drove, and that was the best part about it yeah. because it was right there, and it's just an awesome, awesome place to. Yeah, that's much different than than the outskirts. You know, not even outskirts, the suburbs, Valrico, Lithia, yeah. um, New Tampa, Tampa Palms. You know, it's you got a bunch of cool places around there, but you're not, you're definitely not walking to them. It's just too, true. Everything's too far apart. You got to have the car. That's all. That's and that's good and bad. You know, because you don't have to deal. You can you can move yourself around, mm-hmm. but what that create traffic exactly. you know, you've got to deal with traffic but you got kids you got families you got uh schools and everything you kind of tampa has always been a you've got to pick where you're going to be i think because you're not going to traverse the city on a regular basis you know yeah. if you live in town and country then you probably work close your kids are probably going to be pretty close you don't have to make it to from town and country to Temple Terrace because there's really no easy way to get from town and country to Temple Terrace. You know, it's it's not easy to do that. So it's, it's tough for people coming here to understand where am I going to plant? You know, where am I going to be? And something we talk about on this show is, you know, people who are relocating, what advice would you have for them that are trying to, that are trying to get here that never lived here? They don't have any family here. How do you think they get the lay of the land? to really understand what the Tampa area is all about. First, whoever, when you're looking to relocate here, obviously do your research, consult with a, with someone that's been here for a while, a realtor like myself or somebody else that friend, know, somebody friends, that somebody that you might know here that's been here for a while because Tampa is, is unique. It's not like in many other cities. One of the biggest deficiencies here in Tampa is something that we all know here locally. We just don't have a, a, a very, very good mass transit system. Mm-hmm. Just we have our buses, but yeah. we don't have a train. We don't have light rail or anything like that. So you need to know, like you were mentioning earlier, where you want to be. You know, where what's central to to your lifestyle in terms of okay, what's what do you want for your life? Is it good schools or the location, proximity to work, commute to work? You know, if you live in Brandon, um, are you going to be commuting to downtown or vice versa, um, or do you want to be near the beaches? Because if you live all the way out in New Tampa and you want to be a, a beach bum every few days, it's that's, a hike. Not, that's not going to happen. Yeah, It's going to be a good hour, hour and a half to get from New Tampa out to... And it might be exciting driving to the beach, but driving home from the beach is where it really kicks in. Exactly. <laughs> so I always, what, I always tell people, let's look at the, in the initial consultation. I just bring out this giant map, either in person or if I do a virtual consultation over, over Zoom or something, I just bring up Google Maps. Mm-hmm. This is Tampa Bay. These are the different areas that you're going to be looking at. This is the type of, from what you're telling me, this is the type of house that you want. These, this is where these houses are. Now, how is that going to fit to your lifestyle? What is your lifestyle? Because Then I, we can start looking at different areas based on your lifestyle. You know, if you want to be near downtown, if you want to go watch the lightning 20 times a year, okay, let's, let's figure out where, where you want to be. Mm-hmm. Or if you want to be at the beach, like I said, if you want to go down to Anna Maria Island, if you want to go to St. Pete Beach, you want to go to uh, Indian Rocks Beach, where do you want to be to be there at a certain time? Or do you, do you work West, in West Shore and, and want to live somewhere else? So we go through all those variables to try and make that process as smooth as possible. Yeah. And make the lifestyle as easy as possible. Because mm-hmm. no, no one wants to be in traffic. No, that's nothing you, you just kind of accept it. 
And, yeah. you know, every big city has that has the traffic problem. It just it is what it is, you know, until they ban cars completely. We're going to have cars <laughs> and we're going to be in traffic. Exactly. What is your take on on the Florida housing market right now? It's still booming. It's booming. It's not like it was a year ago. Frenzy. It's not a, a frenzy. frenzy. Mm-hmm. But it's still moving because people are still moving to Florida. People were still moving to Florida before COVID. Yeah. It was happening. We've always been a destination state. COVID just lit the fire mm-hmm. on Florida. Right after COVID, everything just stopped for a while, for a, for a couple months, and then the machine started back up again. And by the end of 2020, I had my best year because things just went absolutely insane. But the majority of my customer base were buyers. I had customers from New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Indiana, California. Less so here. There weren't a lot of local trans, local people just selling and buying. Mm -hmm. Those people moving in because they wanted to get out of the Northeast. They wanted to get out of high-tax states, political reasons, whatever the case may be. They wanted Mm -hmm. to move to Florida because of the weather, the no state income tax, um, everything that Florida has to offer. The fact that you don't have to keep an ice scraper in your car, you know, for winter. Mm Um, various reasons. Um, Did so, you get a taste of that when you were in Illinois? Absolutely. Yeah. I, two years. I, I remember one morning waking up and the air temperature was minus seven. The Does not w- compute. Wind chill was a lot more. You know, <laughs> for someone that lives in Wisconsin, like my my wife is from Wisconsin, she she, she laughs at minus seven, but minus seven for a Florida boy, that is. No, yeah, that's not happening. That's the freezer, <laughs> that's colder than the freezer. At that point, I started making plans in the back of my head. I think I need to move back to Florida. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow, but it was uh, it was uh, it was interesting. I appreciate what the mid, what that area offers because you don't get the change of seasons down yeah. down here like you do right. up there. But um, I I wouldn't trade Florida's lifestyle for for anywhere mm-hmm. because we just you can do anything you want basically twelve months out of the year here. Mm-hmm. We have our fair share of issues. You know. Yeah, I've said before that it, it, it sort of gives you a more usable year mm-hmm. outside. You just, it almost gives you more time back because yeah. you're, not, you're not stuck. Yeah. And I know people like to play in the snow and, you know, do snow sports and things like that. But that's fun to do on vacation yeah. or when you go there for that purpose. But when you have to live in it and drive in it and shovel it. And but it's a fine line as well. I've always said this, especially with the water sports that I do. When I lived up up north in the Midwest, you knew that you had a finite amount of time until the weather got to the point that you couldn't do those activities anymore. That's why up north they have music festivals mm-hmm. every every weekend in the summer. They have things going on because then come September, October, yeah, November, you do you're done. Mm-hmm. Down here, you there's a fine line, and you sometimes I've seen it. You get a little complacent. Mm-hmm. I, I can do that next week. Yeah, oh, I can do that next month. Yeah, and then that's it never a, happens. That's a good outlook. That makes sense. So enjoy it, but take advantage of the time. What, um, you know, speaking of Florida, and it, it's still quote-unquote booming, um, what do you tell people or what do you think or what kind of advice do you have when people say that they're waiting on the market to crash or they're waiting on house prices to fall before? I'm not going to buy a house in this market. Like what do you, what's your advice to people? Just look at the, look at the historical trends on pricing. It's always, whenever there's been a dip, there's been a, another rise and another dip. The, the dip almost never is as deep as the, the next rise. 
So you're always going to go up. So always look at what your what your what your goals are in terms of acquiring or purchasing a property, and look at the market. Like I was just having a conversation with this with one of my one of my other customers this morning, um, that they're looking to acquire a property. And I'm like, listen, the market right now is changing. Obviously, interest rates are not what they were this time last year. That you could have gotten an interest rate at three and a half. 3%, you know, and now you're looking in the six and a half, seven range. Um, but Florida is still a destination. People are still moving here. Florida is going to be a little bit more insulated from the rest of the country versus you know, in terms of any, any dip that does happen in, in the economy. Um, but look at what your overall goals are. You know, I would say if you're looking to make a move just to make a move, make sure it's more of a long-term plan. Don't just buy, if you're looking to buy a house that may be slightly above what you would consider purchasing and it's going to be just a temporary move for maybe a year or so, let's, let's think about that. Let's talk about what, the, what, the, what could happen there. Or if you're looking at this as a long-term play, if you're going to hold on to it for the next 10, 15 years, you're going to be in excellent position because mm-hmm. Florida is just going to continue to appreciate. And I, some people disagree with me, but I see Florida real estate prices mirroring or a few years behind, but what California is. Yeah. And California has been like that for years. Their property values have been through the roof. San Francisco, San Jose, those have always been like just crazy for little condos, you know, like a 400 square foot condo, $800,000. And that was even years and years ago, we see that kind of thing. And I agree. You know, I think Florida's it, they don't make new waterfront property. You know, they don't make new coastline and that's what draws people here. And I think that's when it's going to continue to do it. And there's still a whole lot of land left yeah. to, to develop. And, and like if you go east of, um, you know, if you drive east of Hillsboro on Highway 60, mm-hmm. it very quickly turns into nothing. Yeah. And there's it's just like there's so much opportunity there for the future. And I can, I can just see it go and go and go. Oh, yeah. Now, is it a good thing that we want it to be like California? Do we have a choice? You know, like I don't. I don't want the traffic. I don't want the population. I don't want the congestion. But, you know, as far as an investment standpoint goes, I think you're right. And, you know, another another thing that I, I think about is I feel like people have a skewed opinion on the way thing, on the way the market works, because they remember 2006, 7, 8, when the bottom fell out. And I think a lot of people have a memory of that and they feel like that's going to happen again or This is what happens to a real estate market. It crashes through the floor sometimes, but historically it doesn't. That was a, I want to say that it was an anomaly. I hope it was. I can't tell the future. You know, I'm not a fortune teller, but. We don't know what could happen in the geopolitical world. Exactly. Something that could happen over in Europe that might Mm -hmm. affect here or in Asia that might affect us here. Mm -hmm. We can't, we don't, we don't have that crystal ball. But in terms of how the market trends have been for the last 50 years, just go back, do your research. Yeah, It's like the stock market. People our age, if the market crashes tomorrow, we're not going to pull our money out of the stock market because that then you realize the loss. Mm-hmm. You're going to hold on to it. Yeah. Let ride the let wave. It, let it come back. Let it come back. Um, and that's where you got to just don't panic and just plan it out. And more times than not, you're going to make the right decision. And Florida real estate is typically very safe. 
can't guarantee the, anything, but it's typically very look safe. to the successful people that you know, and how many of them do not own real estate, mm-hmm. you know, and it doesn't turn into a timing thing. It turned, you know, oh, they well they bought it in 1984, or they bought it in 2015, or they bought it in 2020 before things really took off. It's like, well, look at all that time, yeah. you know, and just name somebody successful that does not partake in either investment property or primary residence. Indeed. Moving on to headlines. Now we're talking about the Florida real estate market. So this is a perfect segue into headlines. So what do you want to Google? You want to say Florida real estate market news? Sure. Florida insurance. (laughs) I've got my, uh, I've got an insurance guy. I'm going to get on here pretty soon, but um, there's some crazy stuff happening with insurance and I'm not, I'm not prepared to go into it right now because I don't want to speak out of term. But uh, there's some there's some crazy self have flood citizens flood. If you heard about that, yeah, um, that's one of them. And then all these recent changes that happened with the assignment of benefits and two way attorneys fees. And uh, hopefully those are good things. Hopefully that helps our premiums come down. But we're gonna get some insurance experts on here to really detail that out for yeah. us here pretty I wanna, soon. I want to be on that. I want to see that one because. We just got dropped from our insurance. My wife and I, our yeah. insurance carrier just dropped us because they won't carry um, raised foundation homes anymore. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you're in Hillsboro. And I'm him. Yeah. I hear that Hillsboro is one of the worst uh, markets for insurance yeah. to be in. All right. So I Googled Florida real estate market news. And I'm just going to look at things. I'm going to actually, I'm going to click the news tab so I can get articles. Four weeks, two days ago. Let's look at this. I'm going to pull up two of them. That's from the Florida Realtors. We don't want that. All right. So I got two articles to look at. First one is going to say weather risks and costly repairs aren't dampening Florida's housing market. Oh, man. This is an audio article. Uh, okay. That's rare. This is an NPR. Here it is written. So we just heard severe flooding in Fort Lauderdale's caused massive damage to many people's homes. That was crazy. Have you seen the news yeah. on that? <laughs> that was nuts. That was it came out of nowhere. Uh, with extreme storms and flooding becoming more common, we wanted to know if this is affecting the housing market in South Florida. So we called the real estate broker, Wendy Newman Shipkey. She sells properties in Fort Lauderdale and across South Florida. She uh, said storms are a way of life. So they go on to talk about all this stuff. And really, I agree. You know, I knew some people that moved here uh, from different parts of the state uh, or country, excuse me, from uh, Minnesota and Arizona. They moved down to Cape Coral, Southwest Florida. And when that storm hit, the hurricane came through, Ian jacked them up. You know, that was a big that was a big deal down there. And a lot of people were displaced, a lot of a lot of property damage down that way. And, um, you know, that's that's a. We like to say Florida is beautiful and awesome and great, but yes, you know, every now and then, you know, a hurricane can come through you, you and ruin your ready. day. You have to be ready, and it's <clears throat> yeah. Hurricane prep is a real thing, and the unfortunate reality is, if you're gonna if you're gonna have coastal living, then you're going to eventually 
run into something like that. Flood, wind, rain, something's going to happen. When I have those consultations with relocators that are looking to move down here, that's one of the one of the first things we talk about mm-hmm. is we're in Florida. Florida, we have storms, we have hurricanes, we're in the tropics, and you have to be ready in the event that something like that happens, like an Ian, mm-hmm. like a Maria, like an like an Andrew. That's that for most of us. That's the first recollection yeah, that we have right. from a massive storm. Mm-hmm. Um, that could happen. But here you know, in something- Florida, here in Tampa, we've been very lucky. Yeah, very lucky. Like I mentioned earlier, my house was built in 1926. Mm-hmm. When I had the inspector go through there, he was looking at the house. He's like, oh, when was this house built? He's like, 1926. Oh, right after the hurricane. The last major storm that directly impacted Tampa Bay was 1924, 25, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've been very lucky. And I think what a lot of people miss is just because you say, you know, we talk about Florida being in this path of a storm and no doubt that it is, but there's a whole lot of Florida inland mm-hmm. that is relatively safe. You know, yeah. it's like, you know, it's being in, you know, Polk County or uh, Kissimmee in the middle of the state, you know, where Disney and everything is, that's, um, they don't get the brunt of the storm. No. You know, it's it's the coastal living. It's, you know, what I want to say, what, maybe 10 miles inland is really where it, it, that's kind of the danger zone. If a big, huge category four or five comes through, those are the first people to be affected mm-hmm. by that. So. Yes, you want waterfront. You want to be close to the water and everything, but you, the risk is there. You the know, it really does there. come. But people, people keep doing it. You know, people keep reinforcing. They keep rebuilding, and for the twenty, thirty, forty years where it's not a problem, that's somebody's life of living in a nice house. Absolutely. You know? So it's it's worth it to yeah. them. And I get it. You know, I've been here. I'm I'm not I can't say that I'm not afraid of storms. Like I don't want to deal with a hurricane or an earthquake in California or a god forbid a tornado in the Midwest. You know, those are devastating, but we've we've kind of learned to take our chances with hurricanes. And I always tell people just be ready, have a plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not, get prepped. Not, not just evacuation plan, but have a plan in terms of your long-term recovery from that event if it were to happen. Mm -hmm. Be properly insured. Properly insured. Have either through insurance or self-insured and know that if you and your family are safe, you can rebuild. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yes, some memories might be gone, but you will be here, your family will be here, and you can start over. Everybody can start. You don't want to start over. Nobody wants to go through that. Yeah. And God forbid we, and nobody will have to, has to go through that. I, but <clears throat> excuse me, I jumped off and I'm a hundred percent set with a generator now Nice. <laughs> because we had a, um, and I, I kicked myself because the house we're in has a generator panel on it, but there's no generator at the house. So I had a generator that I bought during Irma mm-hmm. and I never had to take it out of the box. So it was packed up you know, sealed, it could sit there for years and be safe and fine and no gas in it, no rust or anything. And then I, Ian's coming along and I'm like, okay, well, let me see if this thing hooks into my house. And turns out the connections didn't work. I couldn't find any connections because I'm here trying to buy this stuff like an idiot at, you know, two days before the hurricane hits and everybody's sold out of every little 50 amp accessory that they have, like nowhere. And so I'm like, okay, well, We'll just run extension cords from this thing if we have to. And so power went out and then we lost it for two days 
but we powered our refrigerators and we powered some fans and our chargers and stuff like for phones and and whatever we had. So we roughed it a little bit, but it really could have been like really much worse. You know, it's just minor inconvenience. But then after that, I was like, you know, I got to get a proper generator. So the day after we got power, I ordered one and uh, it shipped in. Now I've got like this. It's a portable, but it's a whole house generator. So it's got the big 50 amp connection Mm -hmm. on it. I got the cable to plug in and like flip a switch and my whole house is now powered off of this this portable thing. Oh, good so stuff. I know we, I'm we, kind of anxious to use, I don't want to use it, but I kind of want to use it cause I want to break it out and play with it, but I don't want to like gas it up and get it all ready to go and then have it sit there for 10 years. It's a test run. Yeah. It's called Tico up. Hey, I need can I turn off my power for a little bit. No, I mean, <laughs> I can, I, my, they, whoever, when they built the house, they wired it up, right. It's got to interlock oh, and got the thing. disconnect gotcha. and all that stuff on it. So it's, right. it's legit, but I don't want to, um, I don't want to get ahead of myself either. <laughs> I know. We we live where we live. Um, it was funny during Ian, literally one block north of us never lost power. Mm-hmm. I could see Isn't the, funny I, how that happens. I could see their lights and we lost power for about, we were very lucky. We only lost power for like 16 hours. So very lucky, but I didn't like it. I don't like being without power. I was uncomfortable. It just, yeah, it's it didn't terrible, sit, especially it didn't, in the hurricane season. Cause oh, it's, it's so humid and hot and just sticky. I was so, I was so uncomfortable that evening. My wife and I were just sitting down on my tablet, just trying to watch some YouTube. You watch something, pass the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just get all antsy, all anxious because mm-hmm. I can't. There's no lights. We have a, we have our lanterns and stuff, but you can't see anything outside mm-hmm. except you go around the corner. You can see the lights down the street. <laughs> so I'm like I got to get out of here. And she's like, "We're in the middle of a hurricane." I'm like I got to get out of here. I got to do something. We, she, she comes with me. We go for a drive around the neighborhood. <laughs> there's power lines down yeah. everywhere. Yeah, there's trees everywhere in that neighborhood. She's like, I don't think this is safe. Let's go home. <laughs> <laughs> and 2004, when all four of those hit, you know, Charlie, yeah, Ivan, oh. Dennis, and what Gene. else? Gene. Francis. Yeah. Francis, not Dennis. They, our power went out for like two weeks because I was in an old neighborhood with flown power lines and nothing underground. And trees everywhere. Yeah. So it just took out little sections all over the place. And it took them forever to fix it. And then it come to find out that we we spent like three days in the house, no power. And like right up the road, Applebee's never lost power. And I didn't know that. And somebody had told me, and this is like 2004. So we weren't as plugged in yeah. back then. And uh, so we went up to Applebee's and hung out for a couple hours just to be in air conditioning and have some hot food we didn't have to grill <laughs> uh, something similar because when when either francis gene one of those i think storms, charlie was the worst charlie. for us yeah. one of those we lost power i was down in summerfield at the house that i mentioned earlier and we lost power for about a day and the only thing that had power in that entire area was this little chinese restaurant <laughs> up off of boyette they were slammed i bet oh, slammed mm-hmm. i went and got food there like twice it made their year <laughs> sure All right, next article. Florida defies national housing recession, quote, Mm -hmm. with post-pandemic boom. April 17th, 2023. Downtown Naples, nearly every street along the turquoise waterfront has an active construction project, whether it's a new home or a remodel. Lots of remodeling going on since Ian, still. Yeah, true. Uh, Almost every part of Collier County in South Florida, more generally, has only been expanding after more people began relocating the Sunshine State due to escape pandemic restrictions in the rest of the country. 
Says Naples, a city of about 20,000 people, is part of a much larger Collier region, about 375,000 residents as of the 2020 census. Uh, Naples, which is now the name used to reference much of that county west of 75, even beyond the city limits, has been an in-demand locale for out-of-staters attracted to the wealth, coastal lifestyle, and hot labor market. So, you know, I, I joke about a lot of these articles being very doom and gloom because they are, you know, they'll take one, they'll take 0.01 difference in a metric and say, oh, the housing market is about to crash because yep. this changed by, you know, 10 basis points Every, or something. Everyone's looking for that first sign, mm -hmm. jumping all over it. And it's, they always want to put the articles out. So this article is a huge article. It goes on and on and on. I'm not going to read it all. But they're hitting on all of the you know, the stuff happening here, people moving here still, construction projects going on, new houses being built. And, you know, that's that's a positive outlook, I think. Absolutely. Just that's great. Look at look at Tampa, the entire channel side, Water Street. Mm -hmm. And now the gas works project that's going up between Ebor and t downtown Tampa. Um, I was a little disappointed we never got Trump Tower. Do you remember that? They're finally building on it. Yeah. They're finally, because I paddle by it every day. Yeah. They're finally building on that lot. But, um, yeah, I think I think probably the name would have been gone by now. And yeah. Well, that was that was way before Trump was Trump. You that know, was that was back in the late 90s, wasn't it? Early 2000s. Early, yeah, around the boom time is when that, that stuff started to come in. Early, early 2000s, I think, yeah. is when that was all starting out. And that never, yeah, never that, materialized. That lot, that lot just sat empty. Yeah. They always said, it's coming, it's coming. But it never happened. <laughs> <laughs> but they're finally building on it. Well, good. Well, we've got some positive news in the headlines this week, and I'm, I'm happy for that. So we'll see that continue. We both know how it's going here in Florida. Mm -hmm. Do you know what that is? No. <laughs> This is time for Brain Busters. There we go. This is going to be your trivia. We're going to test you in multiple categories. Now, the rules for this is pretty much Jeopardy rules. All right. Okay, so you can, we've got five categories, and there's five total questions. So you can pick one category, all of them, or mix them up. All right. Whatever you choose. All right, so first question let me tell you the categories first. Sorry. General knowledge. All right. Real estate test questions. Oh, okay. Florida facts. Florida history, geography, news, and politics. Mortgage matters. Mm -hmm. Mortgage terms, products, and processes. And then superheroes. Marvel and DC only. Oh. Heroes and villains as written by my nine-year-old son. So tread lightly because he right. is... An expert at that. <laughs> so what's your first category? Oh, I have a lot of useless knowledge, so let's go general. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So first question in this category. Make sure I'm on the first. Yeah. Which planet in our solar system orbits closest to the sun? I hope I'm not. This isn't a trick question, but I'm thinking it's Mercury. That's correct. <laughs> You're one for one. I had to think about it for a second. I was like, okay, is this a trick question? It's the my very energetic <laughs> mother just served. Yeah, I do that too. 
And I'm still a little bitter that they've dropped Pluto. I think that's just, that's oh, a travesty. Well, we have all these exoplanets now. Yeah. Well, Pluto stays in mine. All right, so do you want to stick the same category or try something else? Oh, let's try something else. Okay. Let's go. Got real estate test questions, Florida facts, mortgage matters, and superheroes. Florida facts. Florida facts. What is the nickname of the original Tampa Bay Buccaneer Stadium? Tampa Stadium. No. The original Tampa Bay Buccaneer Stadium. Mm -hmm. Before Raymond James. Yeah. There were two acceptable answers here. Well, we have the old sombrero. There you go. Okay. That's what I was looking for. Oh, okay. <laughs> we would also would have accepted Houlihan Stadium. Houlihan's, yes. Yep. Okay. But it was Tampa Stadium. Officially, it was Tampa Stadium. Well, this was the nickname. Yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What category's next? Do I can repeat them if you need me to. Uh, let's go real estate questions. Real estate. Okay, now these are right off of a test prep that I found for Florida real estate questions. No math, please. No math. And I'll repeat these multiple. This is also multiple choice. All right, question. Which of the following types of notice is also called legal notice and is achieved by recording documents in the public records? Is it A, constructive notice, B, actual notice, C, real notice, or D, pending notice? Repeat the question again. Which of the following types of notice is also called legal notice and is achieved by recording documents in the public records? Constructive notice, actual notice, real notice, or pending notice? Hmm. Guess it's either actual or pending. No? <laughs> oh, I was way off then. It's constructive notice. <laughs> constructive notice. <laughs> For those way that aren't, off. aren't privy to the real estate test, the real estate and, and just probably just about any kind of license test is very much geared towards uh, things that you're never going to use yeah, in your career. True. And if you need to know the answer, you find it and you know it. It's not all the stuff does not have to rattle around in your head for the rest of your life. All right. Next category. I want to try and get that category right. But, <laughs> but let's go come back to that because we're on question four now, right? Mm, uh, yeah, this will be four coming up. Let's go superheroes. Superheroes. Okay. Who or what made Spider-Man's suit turn black? Oh, that was Venom. There you go. Right answer. <laughs> All right, final question. We've got superheroes, mortgage matters, Florida facts, real estate questions, and general knowledge. What was the category that we haven't done? Uh, we have not done mortgage matters. Let's do that. Okay. All right. Question. Upfront fees charged by the lender at closing to lower the monthly interest rate are called what? Points. Points. Discount points, points, or buy-down are all acceptable answers. There, there you go. go. So you're four out of five, and you tie the high score for this for this trivia. Nice. So good on job. The, on the leaderboard. Thank you for playing. <laughs> that, 
the murkier one still works. <laughs> Mercury <laughs> and saved you. Works. Um, Melissa said Mars on that. <laughs> I was like, no, come on, Mars. So what kind of advice would you give to somebody either trying to buy their first house or move into a new house that when they haven't done it in 10 years? What kind of tips do you have for them? Do your proper due diligence. You know, work with your realtor, work with your with your real estate professional to make sure you're doing everything you need to do to do the proper due diligence on the house from inspections to what you're getting into in terms of the financing, if you are financing the purchase. Number one, what I tell people, I, my my key when I talk to people about buying a house, if we identify a house, I try and point out all the pros. I point out all the cons that I could see myself based on what I know from that customer. I point out all the cons that they could possibly see because I always tell them the last thing I want you to do as a home buyer when you purchase a house is six months from now you are sitting in this living room regretting this purchase. Mm-hmm. So think about all the things that could go wrong if you don't do the proper foresight you don't do the proper inspections or and even if you do think about everything you still can't you can't you can't think you can't, about every you can't, single but thing try and think about as much as possible mm-hmm. how is this going to affect your life number one like this going back do your inspections properly you don't want to be in the house two three weeks and something goes wrong that could have been possibly a something that you could have caught during the inspection process mm-hmm. so do your proper due diligence and and know that the property is comfortable know the property fits your lifestyle don't try and shoehorn yourself in. Now, you're never going to find the perfect property. I always tell people that. Set, expect, set expectations. You're never going to find the perfect property that's going to fit every aspect of your life to the T. Um, even if you had, if you're extremely well off and had all, and money was not an issue, you're never going to find the right property. Mm-hmm. I know people who have custom built amazing, beautiful homes. And even after it's all done, there's something that either didn't turn out right or they wish they would have changed this or they wish they wouldn't have gone with this. Yeah. You're right about that. There is no perfect. Yeah. You've got to pick like top three, exactly. top three, four things that are non-negotiable. Exactly. Set those like, know what you cannot live without or you need to have. And then everything else, you can make compromises. Compromises is everything. If, and if you're okay with that compromise, you're going to be happy in that home. But don't give it... If, if you have a family of six, don't buy a two-bedroom house. It's not going to work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and you might but, think you go, oh, well, you know, th- two and two in each room, and you know, we'll build on here, we'll do this. That's exactly. that's a lot. You know, that's that's a lot of work to do. So just think about possible scenarios. Do your due diligence. Ask questions, um, and you, you're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Good. So tell us. Tell, well, so tell me, how do we find you? Where do we, where do, how does somebody reach you and how, how would somebody get started? Well, you can reach out to my broker, my brokerage, uh, Sanchez and company, uh, LLC, San- Sanchez and company, Tampa real estate. Um, our website is Sanchez and all spelled out mm-hmm. completely. S A N C H E Z A N D C O M P A N Y. I hope I spelled that right. <laughs> That's not part of the trivia. <laughs> yeah. I think you got it though. <laughs> so, um, reach out and then my email is just my first name at sanchezandcompany.com. You can email me, my phone number. Um, I'm sure it, you can, we'll have it on the screen. Yeah, yeah, we'll put it in the notes. So um, just reach out to me, ask any questions regarding anything real estate where you're looking to potentially buy, potentially sell, or just ask general questions about the Tampa area. Um, I'm here. We're, we're here to serve. 
Um, we'd love to talk to you. You talk. need any more butts and seats in the dragon boats? Sure. <laughs> always. Always looking to grow the sport. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So you're athletically inclined and 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 you and you don't have to learn how to swim. You don't have to know how to swim, but it'd be it'd probably be a good advisable. thing. Yeah. I was thinking when you were talking about all that, how often do you go in the water? Dragon boat, not so much. Yeah. We've been very lucky that I've never been in a boat that's actually capsized or or, or fallen or out or of swamped. it or gotten, you know, trying to get in or out or something like that. We had a race a couple of weeks ago that I wasn't in the boat. I was I took a race off and I was at this men's race and we were up in uh, somewhere up north. I don't remember one of the lake towns um, near Orlando. Mm-hmm. And uh, this water ski guy was going by and just threw up this massive wake. It was in the middle of a, of a heat. And the big weight came by and it just, it tipped the boat so much that the guy sitting in 10 left, he literally just right in the water, right out of the water. They They finished, they finished the race with nine people instead of 10. That's so rude. (laughs) Is there no, there's no like traffic control during those things or what? They don't care. It's, it's, it's a massive lake. So the weight came from a, from halfway on the other side. Really far away. Okay. But it just came over. But yeah, he went for a swim. The team that I was paddling with. They finished that race with nine people. It was a small boat race. And afterwards, he was walking back. Like, they dropped me. <laughs> they finished the race without me. Who won? They actually, the, the, that boat won that heat. Oh, wow. Even though they have they finished the race with only nine people. They got a little they, lighter. They them. got a little lighter. <laughs> exactly. That's funny. All right. Well, hey, thanks so much for joining me. I hope you had an uh, interesting time on your first podcast. And... Um, you know, I think you gave some good information. I'm looking forward to, to getting it out to people. So right. appreciate the appreciate you coming. Yeah. Thanks a lot. It's been an awesome experience. Thank All you. All right. Well, thank you. Well, guys, we'll see you again next time on the Florida Housing Hour. Check us out, floridahousinghour.com. We're on YouTube, full video podcast. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify, iHeartRadio, all those kind of places. So if you have any ideas for the show, if you want to leave us a review, we would love it. I would love to see a review come through. We don't have awesome. those yet because we're so new. So hope you you enjoyed it. Everybody take care. We'll see you next time. Bye.